0: From all of us on the tactical stand, we hope you had a great Christmas and are enjoying this festive period. But while we want you to enjoy the last few days of this terrible year, we are still in a tough period and would like to urge all of you to take care and be safe. Now on to the show. He used to
1: call it two, the free, Ps. Play, Possession and Position. The people say, what do you do? What are you doing to play?
0: Hello and welcome to Episode 8 of the Tactical Stand. Before I start off with the introductions, I would like to talk about Manchester City. Um, They, of course, were recording on Monday evening just about an hour ago. It was reported that the Everton versus Manchester City game is going to be called off um, due to an outbreak of Covid cases in Manchester City. Of course, Gabriel Jesus and Kyle Walker had tested positive on Christmas Day. Um, Thoughts go out to Manchester City and the players. And hopefully whoever in the staff and the players have tested positive can get back uh, to playing very soon and get well. But let's move on to the show now. We've got um, our two residents, our two regular uh, compatriots, Bhargav Gopal and Hari, on the show. How are you guys, gentlemen?
1: Yeah, it was a nice Christmas.
0: Uh, got to see some good games,
1: and yeah, actually I was down with a little bit of uh, a cold and a mild fever myself, but uh, nothing, nothing serious on that front. <laughs> So, but still, yeah, uh, some football matches which were thoroughly entertaining, actually. And a a, a lot to look into from a tactical side
2: of things. Yeah, I was able to follow uh, most uh, some of the matches and not so happy with uh, the result on uh, Saturday. But yeah, it's fine.
0: (laughs) So, um, yeah, let's move on to the games, which happened since the last time we recorded the show. We obviously had the um, Carabao Cup quarterfinals. Uh, midweek. Um, congratulations to Tottenham, Manchester City, Manchester United, and Brentford for going through to the semi finals. We'll, we'll be seeing them, maybe talking about them on the show next week. Um, and then, of course, we had the crazy boxing day and um, fixtures on Saturday and Sunday, where amazingly enough, guys, out of the teams in the top 10, only three teams in the top 10 won their fixtures Everton, Manchester City, And Aston Villa. And amazingly enough, again, only one team in the top 10 lost their fixture. And that is Chelsea. And that is going to lead to the first game which we're talking about today. Arsenal, who have not had a great time. I remember the last victory they had in the Premier League was when we recorded our first episode, Bhargav. And we are now doing episode 8. And they've got their next victory in the Premier League. So, it's been quite some time for them. But it was a tough game. A London derby against Chelsea, of course, who are right at the top of… Well, not right at the top of the table, but they're in the mix up there. Um, Arsenal starting dominantly from right from the beginning and ending up 3-1 winners. hurry, uh, you're a Chelsea fan, as we have discussed in earlier episodes. Uh, a disappointing performance
2: from your side, right? Extremely disappointing. Chelsea actually have a habit, you know, of turning donors at some cases. Against Wolverhampton, we saw that. Again, you saw this against Arsenal this time. Uh, In fact, even before the match, I was having, uh, you know, major worries. Because I knew that, uh, you know, on such occasions, actually the pressure is on Chelsea and not on Arsenal. Because I am pretty sure that no one expected Arsenal to win this match. Yeah. While we entered this game. Because especially when under Arteta, they have not done well. So uh, from the last two months, mm. but uh, talking about the match, uh, what I felt uh, was the worst thing was Chelsea did not take advantage of uh, that uh, spaces which Arsenal left in the midfield. Mm. Uh, I feel that Jacka was isolated in the middle because uh, El Nini had become part of you know a back three which Arteta perhaps wanted to start with, but uh, because. Uh, and Chelsea also actually pressed uh, in the initial stages with their wingers. But uh, I don't think Chelsea took enough advantage of it. And rather, Arcel took advantage of it. Because Tierney and Martinez were able to overlap and isolate James. And uh, James, uh, and that actually caused the f- uh, first goal. Because uh, yeah. TNA was brought down by uh, James in the box. And uh, of course, then we made Jaka Messi with a free kick. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was an excellent free kick, but uh, I, uh, means I don't know why they considered these fouls because I think they were quite. It uh, means if you we had allowed the play to continue, I don't think Arsenal would have scored from these opportunities. Mm. So, and after that, uh, Chelsea have a very big problem uh, in this season. Major problem is uh, they don't score first in big games. Okay. You can see all the matches Liverpool, uh, Everton, Arsenal now. Yep. Even before this, they couldn't score against Tottenham, nor they scored against United. Yep. So, this has been a pattern this year. They are not able to get the first goal. And in such games, you know, scoring the first goal gives you a, an edge. Because uh, I feel that uh, already because of the difficulties due to COVID that uh, the teams are facing, I feel that it takes too much out of the team to you know come back strong from such situations. Yep. Especially when one side is dominating. So, uh, conceding first becomes a major issue in such games. Interesting. Uh, Bhargav, let's continue on the Chelsea topic.
0: Um, Chelsea's starting lineup was a very strong one, as expected. Of course, you had the front three of Pulisic, Timo Werner, Abraham, a midfield of Kante, who's been doing well in the DM role, Kovacic and Mount, and Mount's been on superb form as well, and a back five, which have been very, very reliable since Mendy's come in, especially, I think, Mendy's kept the most clean sheets in the league since he's come into the since he's come into the frame. Um, did you think that it was a a passion sense or the fact that they started slow?
1: Um, I think more than a case of Chelsea starting low, slow, uh, it was a case of Arsenal starting strong, in my opinion, in the game. Uh, because I, I believe that you know contrary to what Hari said uh, about the. About the pressure on being on Chelsea to take the initiative in the game and show that they are the superior side. I felt the Arsenal had a lot to lose because I believe had they lost the game, they would have gone just above the last relegation place, probably to 17th or 18th. Nevertheless, I mean specifics aside, I just I just felt that you know um, Chelsea's front three were expecting to counter a back three. Um, that Arteta has used on a couple of occasions. I mean, on paper, if you look at it, uh, based on the historical uh, trend of these players being fit in, uh, they usually go with a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1 or, you know, a 3-2-3-2, something like that, based on what Pep used to play at City and obviously Arteta has picked up on that a little bit. But this time, I think uh, he sort of, you know, fooled the Chelsea lineup. By starting with a 4-2-3-1 of his own, and it was it was a normal back four, except the only fact that you know people expected Saka to play the left wing back role, but he was instead playing on a right attacking midfield right wing role, a you know, sort of a mid transition in that position. So I think that you know Chelsea's front line were a slight bit complacent. I won't say they were too much; they weren't lazy. They obviously did their their share of the pressing and. Took their shots, including the good Mount Freaket. But I think the only problem was that you know uh, what I call the connection between the midfield and the and the front line. I was a little missing because probably they were taking time to adapt in the game a lot more. And by the time that adaptation process had to come, Arsenal had already had you know a couple of shots target and you know tested Mendy with their attempts. So you could see that, you know, this was, there is this gut feeling, you know, which goes beyond tactics that sometimes, you know, it's the side which are deemed underdogs in the game. They start strong and you have this sort of feeling that, okay, probably the day where they're going to, on this particular day at least, they're going to win. So I just thought that, you know, it was was a case of, I mean, having watched the game, I felt that it was a case of Arsenal wanting this a lot more, Uh, having that, you know, pressure on their heads that they are going to lose something at stake. Right, if they, if they don't get a result out of this game. I think that's exactly what happened in the game as well. And They, they
0: took the game to Chelsea and uh, the result was there for everyone to see. Let's continue on that line that sometimes it's not about tactics, it's about a team wanting more. And yes, you talk about Arsenal's situation. Chelsea were going into the game knowing that if they win, they go second. And then considering that Liverpool drop points later, which is another game which we're going to talk about very soon, it would have put them even closer to Liverpool had they won this fixture. So, surely that is enough to grant them also a confidence factor that yes, maybe Arsenal are doing well, but it's a London derby. It's a very, very important game. Why do you think that Arsenal felt it was much bigger than Chelsea when Chelsea could have actually gone right up the table and right on the nose of the league leaders, Liverpool? Yeah, it was a case of who wanted it more, right? I mean, Obviously,
1: we're talking about two teams poised in the season right now at different ends of the table. One is wanting to come out of, you know, relegation and mid-table obscurity. One is obviously trying to put up a staunch title challenge and getting closer to the leaders. But I think it, it was the case of who arrived in the game first, as they like to call it, or who likes to take the fight a lot more closer. And you have to note that, you know, Arsenal were missing a few key players. They were yeah. not starting with, I mean, obviously Aubameyang is not in form, but that doesn't warrant in such a game, mm. he's not going to come on, I mean, he's not going to play the game to to his strengths and score in the match, yeah. right? And obviously, they were not, obviously, uh, I don't think they had their uh, starter centre-back, which was Gabriel.
0: Gabriel yeah, was not I there. I mean,
1: he is yeah. supposed to be, yeah, he's supposed to be partnering holding. Someone like Pablo Mari, who has not had so much game time, was thrust into the game. Mm-hmm. So you have a few players over there who are not obviously uh, well acquainted with the game time in this, you know, pandemic-affected season. But the fact is that you know, even despite on quality, on the quality side, I think Chelsea had a lot more quality than Arsenal. I think that's safe to say, you know, based on the starting lineup that was put out, uh, you know, eleven against eleven. The Arsenal were, you know, just a little bit down in terms of the quality, but they matched it with intention and passion. And while Chelsea had a stake to win for, or you know, a lot more to play for, mm-hmm. probably you know the fact that they were negated from, I mean, it's rare to say, but from some good Arsenal defending initially, and then you know being double countered by you know uh, Arsenal's breaks on the attack, and obviously then you know testing Mendy a couple of times, like I said. So I think it was a case of you know who wanted it more in that initial minutes, and Chelsea just did not get going in in that match. And then you know from there on it went one, two, 0 three, and at the end of the match the Soli started to kick in and then started to have a lot more urgency and pressing. Yep. And that is when obviously they got the goal back as well. Had mm. they replicated it a little bit further, and I think tactical acumen is one big part that we we probably might want to discuss yeah. in terms of the managers, not just in this game, but on an overall scale. Uh, I think, you know, it, it, is, it was a case of Arsenal just
2: uh,
1: feeling that pressure a lot more and delivering uh, in, in a bounce-back effort.
2: Actually, uh, uh, I would uh, like to you know uh, point out one more thing. Bargov uh, said that uh, Arsenal defended well, but uh, I actually feel that Arsenal were not tested as much by Chelsea. Primarily because uh, Werner on the left, Pulisic on the right, which means that Pulisic is good at right wing. There's no question about it. But he has been doing very well in the left wing of late. Mm-hmm. Werner is not doing that well in the left wing. In fact, he is I'm not even sure if he is a good player for a, a sole striker role or a front three role. He mm-hmm. actually does best when he is a part of a two striker system. Which I actually had my reservations even early in the season when Werner was bought, but I felt that uh, Lampard may have his plans. Uh, in the same uh, in the case of Havertz, I feel that uh, I mean uh, I'm not able to connect where uh, these two strikers would uh, these two players would actually fit, but maybe Lampard has his plans, and we will see how the season progresses. But coming back to this match, I feel that Werner on the left wing was very predictable. Mm-hmm. Which actually meant that uh, he was doing the hard work, no doubt, but we were not able to threaten uh, Arsenal on a regular basis. In the first half, if you see, uh, if you had not made those mistakes, I can surely say that it may have been nil-nil. But I can't say that Chelsea would have scored the goal. Because yeah. they were not th- there, actually, in the attacking front. Uh,
0: Sorry, and let, me, let me thing. stop you there. Let me ask you a question uh, on the points you were saying. now. Lampard's been playing this 4-3-3 formation for quite some time now. Ever since he's found a stable's unit, he's been playing this formation. Usually, as you mentioned, Pulisic plays on the left. ZH, when he was playing, he was playing on the right. But you in particular mentioned Tim O'Wern and Kai Havertz. Tim O'Vern has now gone 10 games without a goal in the top flight, which is the worst record he's had as a footballer. Um, he's been playing on the wing a lot. And you've also got two options in Tammy Abraham and Juru playing up front. Do you see... And look, Tammy Abraham has been scoring. He scored He scored the goal against Arsenal. Scored a brace the other day against West Ham as well. This is a player who is performing. Do you think Timo Werner at this moment should be on the bench? Or should be playing in a different position, not just the
2: left-hand side? I believe he should be on the bench for a couple of games. Primarily okay. because he has had a lot of games. Uh, and he is actually looking very fatigued in my opinion right mm-hmm. from the uh everton match i believe that uh, you know uh, it was time to rest him because he has played a lot of games yeah uh yes he can be tried in a different role or he may be even you can come back to the left wing if Lampard wishes but mm. as of now it's very clear that you know he is not looking uh fully refreshed and uh, maybe a break is needed for him. okay and Balga, I'm gonna ask you this question because if I
0: ask Hari, you might get a lot of response on Chelsea. But let's talk about the manager now, Frank Lampard. If I was to ask you as a neutral fan who watched the game, because you're not you don't you're not gonna alliances to Arsenal or Chelsea, if I was to ask you, what did Frank Lampard get wrong in a tactical sense? Because he's been playing this formation for a long time, but there must have been something wrong in this game to warrant a defeat. What did he get wrong?
1: I think first and foremost, it's um it's the fact that he played Werner on the left wing. Uh-huh. Um, the formation tweaks could have been a lot better. I mean, with same you know set of players, you can probably transit from a fourth. Rit- I mean, granted, you want to stick with your stable formation and want to work it out in the game for you know 20-25 minutes, but once you realize that's not you know doing the trick, an experienced manager, right? As someone compared to Lampard, I have. I, know, I mean, no qualms or particular issues to single out Lampard. I mean, I think Chelsea fans would say that you know he's he's done decently well, if not extraordinarily well, uh, mm. in in the limited time that he has taken over uh, in uh, of, of the club in terms of its management. But I still think that you know there's there was a tad bit lacking in terms of his own inventiveness. Okay. I mean, one is of course the players' inventiveness on the pitch. Mm. That is something that they can do that they work upon on the training ground and. Uh, you know, then they try to replicate it in the matches and it's a cyclical process. That is also obviously a lot to do with coaching and, you know, uh, tactical management. Yeah. But I think, you know, in, in his own sense, now, like Hari pointed out, he's obviously seen Warner play in a two-striker system a lot more, mm-hmm. right? Just this once, maybe for a period of time, partner Abraham and Werner, up front. Let's start with them, yeah, up front, okay. right? Where one is a secondary striker and one is a proper center forward. Let them switch a little bit back mm-hmm. and forth. I mean, if it's Abraham who's taking a lot more of an initiative, let him be playing in the center forward role. Let Warner be the hold up team, you know, teeing up uh, Abraham. That's all yeah. of role. The mm-hmm. Secondary striker, which can also drift a little bit into the central attacking midfield. So something, you know, like that, or maybe you know, playing a natural left winger. Uh, maybe starting with Hudson Odoi because Hudson Odoi actually made a good impact, yeah. right? On on the right really. flank, he created that assist. So if he, he was indeed fully fit, and yes, he is not someone who you would like to start off in a big fixture. But you know, even then, you look at Arteta, he took he took
2: that risks. Yes.
1: He started off Martinelli on the you know the left hand side. He started Saka in an unconventional position. ML- he please, they yeah.
0: started his first game. Yeah, exactly. In a number
1: 10 role, and you saw the wonders that happened even if you didn't score, it's not always about, you know, the creative contributions in the game, especially from a tactical standpoint. Yeah. Right. It's it's a number 10 is not, you know, he, he obviously has to be involved in the attacking play, but sometimes he can uh, standardize the players to their natural positions, you know, allowing them to play with a little more creative freedom. And then you can obviously see the results coming in the game. So I think, you know, from that perspective, a little bit of uh, a rejig in the lineup, a little bit more risk taking ability rather than going with a safe and you know, straightforward uh, formation,
0: that should have been a little bit
1: better from, from Lampard.
0: Mm. Yes. Hurry, Chelsea have lost three of the last four games, and the game which they won was also not a very impressive victory, though it was 3 0 against West Ham. The scoreline doesn't show. The, the overall outcome of or how the game panned out um, there's something not working because look these are not the man City or the liverpools but these are tough teams and as we have seen in the Premier League this season it's not not not, not a, a single not a single fixture is gonna be easy this time around. So Frank Lampard has now clearly seen that whatever he's doing is not exactly going to plan. What what does what do you think he needs to change then? Is it the formation is it the players is it the tactics is it the uh, positioning of players? W- what is it that needs to change? What if it's the manager himself? Well, we're talking about Lampard. yeah, But yeah, <laughs> good shout!
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I don't think the manager needs to be changed at this moment. It mm. would be foolish if you change a manager at this point of time. Definitely. But uh, I would say this, even for other clubs, not necessarily Chelsea, because <laughs> Lampard is our <their> manager. <laughs> but... Uh, there are actually, this is not a singling out only one reason. Uh, there are multiple things which need to change. Yeah. Uh, one thing which I would like to point out is, uh, Chelsea have done bad in December uh, in recent seasons. Okay. You can see the last season as well. Okay. Uh, barring that season, uh, where Chelsea won under Conte, even in the second season, they were not good in December. I believe that uh, somewhere it is uh, not only due to the fixture congestion, but it is also down to the mentality of the players.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, all these managers whom I have mentioned have questioned the mentality of the players at some point of time. Okay. Even Stari has questioned it when Chelsea lost 2-0 to United once mm. at Stamford Bridge. So, I believe that uh, Chelsea are not uh, mentally you know, uh, giving 100% for such tight games. That is one major factor. Uh, with uh, teams, changes and tactics definitely uh, Barbo was right in uh, say uh, talking about werner as well i feel uh, not only werner but yes he, he can you know mix and match even if it's the same formation or if he wants to tweak a little and you know go with a 4231 or you know because uh, awards could perhaps do better in that position uh, behind the striker or even play a second striker but something different from what uh, chelsea is doing currently because once you become predictable i'm pretty sure that even the Fourteenth uh, or fifteenth-sided team in the league will find out how to handle your, uh, your attacks and you know construct their own attacks. So uh, that's pretty much what Arsenal did in this match. We became quite predictable. So yeah, all these things uh, together, I feel has to change. And uh, now I can st- uh, we can still believe that things can change in Jan as th- things progress. And maybe who knows. Uh, these players may adapt to the league. That is, Werner and Havertz are still, you know, relatively new to the league. All can't be Bruno Fernandez. You see.
0: Thank you, there. Thank you about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, Balgov, just to end the topic because we kind of have, all the questions have asked have been Chelsea related. But in a way, we have also talked a lot about Arsenal and we covered their aspects of the game. So that that's actually good. But. Um, there's one thing I noticed, which was towards the end of the game, where Arsenal conceded a goal and then it all hell broke loose. Does that does that speak more about the fact that their their defence is very unstable, even though they got a good win? That if Chelsea had scored that penalty, it's suddenly 3-2 with four minutes to go. Could have even been 3-3 with without doing much, you know? And I think, um, does it show a lot about Arsenal's vulnerability and does that... Create a problem going into games, even though this is a big plus. I mean, see, the thing is, the tactics plays such a big role. Mm.
1: Uh, obviously, on the pitch, you try to work it out in terms of uh, the, the positioning, uh, the movement, you know, uh, the, the, the physical training, the aspects in the, in the finishing. But you know, mental coaching is obviously that very important subset as part of tactical coaching. Yeah, and. I don't know. I'm I'm not, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but if you know, I I were to take uh, a a random guess, I don't think you know uh, Arteta's mental attributes in terms of his coaching, in terms of the firmness and spirit that he has instilled in the Arsenal dressing room, is quite yet up to the mark. You know, as probably contrary uh, an experienced manager, or you know, or uh, someone with um, a creditable reputation for having managed you know, teams in the past. Because I mean, obviously, this is Arteta's first full-time job as a proper yeah. football manager, isn't it? So, and it's a big club with, with you know moderate amount of expectations. I mean, if not, you know, if, if even if it's not the Arsenal from uh, from the past decade, but they still have, uh, they, they still have a reputation to maintain, and Arteta has a reputation to build. Yeah. So it's you know a crossover of you know two entities that are trying to work together that obviously have a good relationship with each other. But I think, you know, um, that shakiness in the defence might be uh, bolstered by a better set of players in terms of quality because I think on the left-hand side, Gabriel is a good pick. Uh, When he's fully fit, he's shown that he can Uh, hold-off and he has that European experience as well playing in the Champions League for Lille. So, I think it's the right centre-back that they need to address. They have tried out different options. The fact that they have five to six centre-backs in there means that they will need to go a little bit of an overhaul on that position. But if they can get that fixed, I think, you know, as as a whole the the squad will uh, start to get a lot more confidence. Coupled with, you know, Arteta's Results will will give them a lot more confidence in terms of the mental side of things. So I think you know this win is a good moral booster. It's going to put them on the right track. But whether they can carry on from here, I think that's that's a test that they will have to undergo themselves.
0: And yeah, we'll find out more about how they go on from this, if they can kick on from such a positive result in the upcoming games, obviously, as we enter the new year. Let's move on to our second game, guys. Um A game where I was very, very impressed. You know, it's one of those few games where you kind of appreciate defensive football in a way. Usually you don't. You really like to see attacking football in a way. But this is one of the games where I actually enjoyed a match, even though one team had all the possession. I'm talking about Liverpool versus West Brom at Anfield, um, getting a draw West Brom there. Sam Allardyce in his second game in charge at the club, getting a draw at Anfield. Amazingly, amazingly enough, in his last four meetings there, with four different clubs, he's got a draw, which is even better than the majority of the top six clubs currently because Liverpool have been unbeaten in Anfield. Well, they have 11 draws in their last 77 matches at Anfield. Um, as I mentioned, I really, really enjoyed the defensive display. You know, the, the bank of 6-4. 6-4, there was not one complete striker. It was actually a 6-4 with the goalkeeper at the back. Um, Bhargav, did you really? What did you think of the match? Did you did you really think that it was something you enjoyed, or you kind of despise that kind of football?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Big Sam is back, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> He's back in his you know natural element, and uh, I think there's there's a joke where uh, people say that you know everyone is big enough until Big Sam walks in the room. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> jokes aside, I think you know. Um, it was an all masterclass. I would actually like to call it for some yeah. reason. I I liked you know watching that game where you know clearly West Brom were not expected to take home anything from a match. I mean even if it was the Hawthorns, we could have considered you know uh, an element of surprise. But yeah. at Anfield, where you know the where the home team has been dominating in the Premier League for years now, for for you know at least two and a half seasons as far as I can recall. So the stuff for you know for any team lest uh, a relegation candidate mm. more so uh, fighting for survival so i think it was it was it was a good match i think it was a game of two halves in my opinion yeah i felt that you know uh, West Brom, from a tactical defensive tactical perspective they were not closing the channels strong enough uh, they were not it's reacting good. to yeah, yeah because liverpool's strength as we have discussed before uh, mm. what makes their attack fully click, uh, if I have to use that term, is when the uh, likes of Robertson and Trent alexander arnold combine in their crossing to help uh, Mane, Firmino and Salah, you know, more than wingers, they become more centre strikers so it's like you're playing with three centre forwards at that point in time at least. Then you have a front front five. Yeah. So what was happening is in, in the initial half, in the first half, you know, Westbrook were hardly uh, you know stringing together passes. And they were not you know, having any kind of gameplay. I think they were confused a little bit. Uh, probably what led to the first goal also. You know, While they were trying to figure out whether uh, they're supposed to aerily hoof off the challenges, you know, the, the, the crosses that come in from the middle of the park or whether to close down the outlets on the, the flanks. And in doing that, they considered that first goal. But what was important is the reaction that came after that in the remaining 30 minutes of that particular half. And they didn't let that second goal come in. And if you observe, right, West Brom uh, did the same thing at City as well. Yes. They they just defended, you know, for their lives. Where they, were, they were they were not going to give the second goal because against such big teams, the second goal makes a big difference. Of course. It gives you the sense of resignation and defeat that, you know, the game is over and no matter how much you try, you're only going to be more exposed at the back. Or the the good thing that happened or was in their favour was in the second half, they were able to rectify that mistakes. Yeah. So, Phillips came back, the captain, you know, uh, Phillips came tracking back to help the central defense. Mm. So, you already have, you know, two center backs, a defensive midfielder, and now we also have a central midfielder who's playing in defense. So, you have four in the compact oh. zone. And you also have, you know, Ngana and uh, Con Gallagher, uh, those people on the flanks
0: tracking back a little bit more. So, who are helping the natural full backs. I so completely have, agree. You know, I actually, I completely agree with you because. They conceded really early in the game. But I felt as the half went on, the players realized their particular roles even more. And um, they, they kind of got... Because Liverpool had some good chances even after the goal. Some good crosses coming in from Trent Alexander, Arnold and Robertson a couple of times as well. But as the half went on, you didn't see that much. You didn't see that much movement. You just saw Liverpool passing it sideways because they had nowhere to go. Mane was not making as many runs as he made in the first 20 minutes. And I felt, you know, the one thing which I realized, and I think you might agree with this, once the players realize their roles, and then they come in at halftime 1-0, there's a sense of confidence. And then Sam Allardyce, because he's so used to that kind of formation and that kind of role, he just told them a few more tips to do in the second half. And you rightly mentioned, you mentioned the players, you mentioned... Connor Gallagher, Dean Garnard were not the not the best of his games, but he was getting to really good positions. And the one person who impressed me the most was the striker, Grant. He was not playing as a holding striker. He was not getting anywhere close to the ball in the first half. And yet the positions he was coming in, the holder play, he had a great one-on-one chance, which he should have scored. His positioning was something which I was really impressed by. And I just understood that as the game, as the game moved on, the West Brom players got more and more confident. You mentioned the Man City game, Bhargav. I don't think it was this defensively astute in that game. Because Man City did have a couple of chances towards the end. I don't remember a single good chance for Liverpool in that second half. And I think that's what was most impressive for me. Hari, do you share those that kind of opinion?
2: Uh, one of the reasons why uh, Liverpool uh, able to create much in the second half is also because, uh, like you said, they had understood their roles and uh, anyway, if your uh, main objective is to stop the more aggressive side to go to up, the thing that you do is you different numbers. And yeah. actually for a long periods of time, it looked like Liverpool were chasing a goal mm-hmm. in this in that period. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, yeah, Westbrook yeah, yeah. were actually quite compact. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this actually leads to more pressure on the attackers in the last third where they are arrayed into shots or their shots are blocked run I feel that was the reason why Liverpool had too many shots but you know none of them were on target I think they I think in the good. end of the match it was uh, surprising that West Brom had more shots on target than Liverpool exactly yes <laughs> yeah. so yeah. and yes when, when in the last 10 15 minutes what happens is the underdog always believes that if you have bought it so far you know you will You'll get something there's always one chance there is always one chance you get at the end it's yeah. always about taking that one chance which you get. And West Brom were good enough to you know, pick that up. Uh, one important thing in this is uh, now I don't know uh, it will be quite strange for people but if there is any weakness in this Liverpool side, it is that their midfield uh, does not have creativity. Right
0: now. Interesting. Yeah, they did See, start a
2: midfield of Jordan Henderson, Curtis Jordan, Jordan Henderson and Wynaldum. Uh, yes. Vinaldum and Curtis are earlier uh, no other hard players and Anderson, of course we all know is a great leader but when but it I comes to creativity the only creative midfielder in the squad is tiago alcantara so what i can you know yeah tiago
1: alcantara yeah I mean, sometimes he's also playing a ball carrying role but yeah. alex oxlade chamberlain is actually one of those you know creative players who can, who can fashion chances out of you know limited space to take shots himself mm-hmm. and we have seen you've seen him score long ranges Yes, no, when when the front line is not fired. Yes, then Fighting that. Didn't. Off
2: but you uh, know, one more thing. Uh, just one thing. Well, uh, I feel that Klopp did not make use of his bench. Shakiri was there; he didn't use him. Hmm. <laughs> that was very surprising. Yeah, especially He's when a great new player.
1: Yeah, especially when Salah was looking off color in the entirety of the game for some reason and they also heavily missed uh, you know diego jota who was obviously injured yeah. but you know it, it, it was probably the kind of game for him to uh, come on and probably score i uh, think the, klopp did a
0: bit of, of naivety in the game as in he did show that uh, he just believed that with this player with this players so with the formation they'll eventually get a goal and not that let me change something because this is not working. You know, let me let me let me change the formation slightly. Let me put a different player into a particular position. He was a bit naive in the naive in this game, and that obviously uh, made a big impact because he didn't get the win. I'm actually, just going to talk about you know the defensive
1: marking and whether you know the Liverpool uh, should I call it the inexperienced center back pairing? Because hmm. see, Fabinho is not a natural center back, and uh Williams is a young center back. So Got this combination that you know without Matip, without um, not know, uh Joe Gomez, without Virgil van Dijk, rusting in your fillers who are the fourth and the fifth choice to come and play different roles when you know West Brom have this uh you know threatening chance uh from the set pieces. He has been known uh he's a known you know, marksman in terms of uh scoring from corners and free kicks mm-hmm. within you know, a tall frame. So I wonder if you know uh if Matip would have been there. Could he have done anything differently, you know, in place of Reese Williams? Because obviously, in the in the goal that we saw, Reese Williams did not actually, you know, make the effort to uh, bulk up to, you know, Ajay and challenge him, you know, in that yeah. duel. He just let him. And I think Fabinho was equally confused whether, you know, yeah. is, is Reese Williams going to take it? And by the time he's realized that Reese Williams is not, he's trying to go for it himself. But then he's obviously up already in the air, and then you know he's beaten Allison uh, to, to, to to the to the header. So, I think, yeah, from from that perspective, I think, you know, Matip's uh, loss, you know, uh, from the game, it obviously contributed to uh, a poor defensive marking play. Because, obviously, you know, the fullbacks are a little more advanced and even if they do know how to defend well, they sometimes be exposed. So, you need a good, strong, you know, uh, centre-back or probably, preferably two, to, you know, balance out um, all the threats that a team like West Brom can give. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think it was you know, a fair result. You, you can't say that you know, West Brom didn't deserve the draw. Every, especially after everything that they did in the uh, second 45
0: minutes. Hari, I'm going to put a question on that point only to you. Virgil van Dijk, of course, is a player who never gets injured. He's out for a very long time. But Joe Gomez and Mattep are two defenders who we know are injury prone. They do get their injuries through the season. I think I even heard Jamie Carragher on Sky Sports say, you know Matip is going to get injured eventually because that's the, that's, the, that's what's been happening every single season. Is it very, very important that while Liverpool are top of the table, they definitely need to buy a
2: centre defender this January? I believe, yes. If not buy, at least, you know, some, uh, a loan or some, uh, hmm. something, this will be required. Primarily because uh, it is very sure that uh, Van Dijk is not going to return till end of the season or even may not play at all. Exactly. And uh, with Gomez, uh, as you said, you know he has had terrible injuries in his yeah. career, and you cannot uh, rely on two. Uh, that is, if uh, assuming that Matip comes back quickly, fabine and Matip alone, I don't think you can. win two players for a Champions League season, and then you know uh, at a place where they are looking like the favorite to win the title. So, they'll definitely need that. And, uh, yeah, let's see. I think definitely Klopp will go this time in the market.
0: Hmm. I think what's interesting about the uh, current lineup is that before we talk about how important Virgil van Dijk is to the team, that he made them from top four to title winners eventually. But I look at this team and I say that even without Virgil van Dijk, even if they get a good defender... The team is it's in such a good system and such a good shape that it will continue to get victories and they could challenge. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be an 80 to 90 million defender. It could just be a 30, 40 million defender and they'll still get the job done week in, week out. I think that's the beauty of what Klopp has structured. But, um, well, it's a nice discussion. We talked about Sam Aldais. Well mentioned there, Bhargav. Uh, Sam, Big Sam Masterclass. That's going to be the title of this episode. I'm sure about that. Um, but we move on to our final game, guys, and that is the game which happened straight after the Liverpool draw on Sunday. because um, while we saw while we call it a big Sam masterclass, we saw another manager who did something very similar after going one-nil up in the first minute of the game, and yet we're not going to call it a masterclass. We kind of question the reason of why he did that. Talking about Jose Mourinho here, um, facing Wolves at Molyneux is always a tough ask. It doesn't matter. With the injuries, up. It doesn't matter. It's still a hard task. Amazingly enough, go one nil up in the first minute of the game, and Dombélé getting a good hit onto goal. I think, and Dombélé was the best player on the pitch. They sat back the rest of the game, as we do know, and I have mentioned, and it didn't work. As uh, Roman Saï scored from a corner in the last few minutes of the game. While we talk about it being a masterclass from Sam Allardyce. It's not a masterclass from Mourinho. Simple facts. He did this at Crystal Palace. He didn't get the win there. He ended up with a one all draw. And he's done it again at Wolverhampton and ended up with a draw. Is it the players or is it the manager? Does some of the blame have to go to the players on the pitch as well?
2: In this game, I don't think the manager is entirely at fault. I believe that Tottenham were outplayed once the Wolves players were able to settle. And there is one interesting statistic for you. Wolverhampton has only two sides above them who have been able to recover from losing positions from 2018-19. Wow. Ayush will be able to get one of those teams right. And yeah. the first team is Liverpool. <laughs> in that. So, yeah, Liverpool, United, and Wolverhampton after that. So, Wolverhampton always do well in the second half. So, mm. I'm 100% uh, sure that Mourinho would have seen this and hence he decided to play for, you know, getting the three points and. Somehow finishing it off. But, you know, the biggest problem is that in current football, this tactic does not work, I feel. Okay. The main reason why I believe that Borneo has had a barren spell of two to three years in this period. Now he's looking like he'll be able to come back. But, uh, yeah, let's see. But yes, uh, the players actually do have a share of blame in this picture, I believe. Bhargav,
0: I'm going to put the question to you because we did have a discussion about this last week when we talked about the Leicester-Tottenham game where Leicester beat them 2-0. While me and Hari were on the side of Mourinho's at fault, you were very, very particular about talking about the players and they and what they, what they did wrong at the end of the day. I personally look at this and say that it's half-half. Like half the players' fault, half the managers' fault. And I'll tell you why. And then you can, you can add on to the point and tell me whether you agree or disagree. Um, Mourinho made one substitution. His first substitution, he played a back five uh, with Davis as a sec- uh, uh, Ben Davis as the third left centre-back and Regulon as a left wing-back. His first substitution was taking Regulon off and getting Bergwijn on. So he changed it to a back four, which essentially means try and attack. You know, Try and play a bit forward. Try and get that goal. But 10 minutes after that, He takes off Ndombele, who, my feeling, was the best player on the pitch. Out of both the sides, Ndombele, I think, was the best player. He takes off Ndombele and gets in Musa Sissoko, which then means it's sitting back. Now you have a back four and you've got three midfielders who just are no creativity, just up there. And then, of course, you have Bergwijn, Son and Kane. And then to top it off, taking Son off for Lamella with 10 minutes to go. So while he did look in the attacking sense when he made the first substitution in the 60th minute, 10 minutes later, he makes a defensive substitution. So that's why I feel that the players did have 70 minutes to try and make something of it. And then Mourinho decided to close shop. Evidently didn't work. Wolves got the equalizer. But do you agree with me that both players and managers this time need to share the blame?
1: Uh, I think I, uh, I have a feeling that, you know, Mourinho probably listened to our episode last week <laughs> and then, you know, uh, he decided that he does not agree, you know, the fact that I am defending him. And then he he, he wanted to take the blame on himself on purpose because he likes, you know, taking the blame on, on himself. loves
0: locations. it. He but, loves it. But
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, focusing on, you know, what happened, uh, if you look at this game in isolation, Mm -hmm. and do not consider the the bad run that they have been uh, relative to their last few games. It is a crime to change a successfully working position with the right fit for the right players. But it is a bigger crime to play the wrong players in the positions that they are not comfortable, in the roles that they are not adapted to very well. From the very start, you can see Ben Davis... Okay, has played left centre back very few times. I mean, in comparison to the you know the fact that he's played left back and left wing back so many times, you want to protect that left side. I understand, right? But uh, the fact that Trier is there, but Traore is not Messi or you know any other dynamic right winger. Mm. He can be stopped, right? Pace and strength is something that he possesses, and trickery is probably not his strongest too. So I don't think you need. Two left backs, natural left backs, trying to cover that, you know, trying to cover that part, yeah, that, that portion of the pitch. And then on top of that, you have two central midfielders thrown into the lineup, and in the game, that they're trying to figure out with each other, wait, who's the defensive midfielder out of the two of us? Heuberg is not a natural defensive midfielder, mm. neither is Harry Biggs. Both of them have played a variety of roles which involve them be ball carriers and central midfielders, which means that they can help out the attack a little, little yeah. bit, not a lot, and they can come back in defense and you know also help out that that segment of the pitch. But they are not natural central defensive midfielders, mm. right? They're not. They're not you know your uh, play destroyers or uh, you know uh, the the interceptors particularly, who will man that you know defense, which allows the other you know to, to roam forward. So i think in this case in this game particularly i think wool got a little bit of little bit better of them uh, in, in terms of their tactics in terms of yeah. the overall gameplay that they were able to execute and Mourinho had himself to blame for all of the substitutions and the way it did not work out i mean this time he has no excuse to say that you know the better team lost or the better team drew so i think yeah i feel that you know when you look at it from a bigger picture perspective it's both of them who need to share the blame because they were well on course for a title challenge it's still alive considering the nature of the family but then it's slowly starting to fade a bit not because someone else is forcing the errors out of them but because they're making errors on their own
0: mm.
1: and they're not you know trying
2: to you know, <coughs> plug the right right spaces with the right solutions mm. there is one more peculiar problem with this Tottenham side yeah that is fading from set pieces now this corner the goal yeah, actually, which they conceded actually reminded me of Greece scoring against Portugal in that uh, Euro 2004 final. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. Classic. Back here. Yeah, 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> also, it yeah, was yeah. similar to that uh, was, goal which Shek also considered against the same side in the semi-final.
1: Yes.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: But mm-hmm. I think it's uncharacteristic of a Mourinho side to not be good at defending set-pieces,
0: don't you think? Firmino Exactly. the winner when Liverpool played them. That's also another set-piece which they considered. Exactly.
2: I was coming to that. Yeah. So, you're right about it. So, it is very uh, uncharacteristic. And whoever uh, look, I'm pretty sure that they have considered more set-piece goals uh, than any other side which Mourinho has coached. so far. I think so. And,
1: and so- in this game as well, it was Deep who gave away that goal, who was weak at defensive positioning. Eric Dyer, who was playing in the in the back three, with an untested Davis on the left hand side and a relatively uh, lesser game time achieved Davinson Sanchez on the right hand side. Not Aldaver, who was mm. probably you know missing due to fatigue or injury or whatever the reason might be. But overall I think you know he needs to he needs to rethink a little bit and invent, but knowing Mourinho, I don't
0: think invention is really his strongest suit. So yeah, I think after the games against Arsenal and Manchester City, we said that this is a Mourinho side. Maybe in recent games, he's kind of shown that maybe it's not a proper Jose Mourinho side. But that's the end of our show today. Thank you so much. We talked a lot about the Premier League. Well, it's only the Premier League going on right now. You're not going to be talking about any other leagues. But thank you so much for joining me, and Hari, again. It's lovely to talk to you guys every every single week. Yeah.
1: Uh, And it's a good discussion uh, the, the quality of our analysis as a whole it's probably improving you know it's it's the finer details which make you know the the, the games um, in hindsight and it makes it i hopefully think it should you know force managers to rethink a little bit so probably they're able to keep up the uh, the quality the competition that the premier league is known for but overall yeah i think you know being a busy perspective period looks like that you know it looks like to continue And uh, hopefully we can, you know, analyse
2: games like this in the next episode as
0: well.
2: Mm. And uh, I am actually pretty disappointed with the fact that Everton Man City got cancelled. Because this was the best time, you know, for Everton. Everton had just come back and were looking as if, you know, they could challenge City. And City, as we know, uh, is a very dangerous side. But have been inconsistent this year. Mm. So it could have been a really interesting match. But yeah, hoping for... uh, some great matches in the coming weekend. Thank you, guys.
0: i hoping that Man City players, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, take care and get well soon very, very fast. We've got some very, very important games which they'll be missing now, uh, including possibly maybe the Carabao Cup semi-final next week. But again, all thoughts go out to them and hopefully they and their families get back into action very, very soon. Uh, I will be seeing you guys in the new year. So, in advance, have a very, very happy new year. And to all our listeners as well, have a great end of this year. It's been a tough year. It's been a terrible year in some ways, but um, you always move on to the next stage and the next stage is the new year. You'll be hearing from us in the new year. So thank you all for listening and please continue to support us in 2021. See you soon.